Hello and welcome to the Social Club podcast. What you're about to hear is a fantastic live recording of our special guests at Social Club this week, Jessica Barker and Rod Vincent, who together have written an amazing book called The Super Health Syndrome. Um, we've got a recording of the whole session, which um, involves questions from our audience and, um, and, and lots of up close and personal with uh, Rod and Jess themselves. So without further ado, let's get into it. Enjoy. The, the, book, the, book's, the book's interesting to me because it's, it's, it's the first kind of serious attempt to try and name something that I think many of us in these caring and helping professions that we're in and leadership roles that we're in that, that kind of captures something that I think at Social Club has come up an awful lot, which is, which is, which is all about how to be, how to provide empathy and support um one to others but but also in doing so to to provide similar empathy and support to ourselves but i think for many of us while we're, we're good at the first thing we're, we're often pretty pretty damn awful at the second and i think what jess and rod have done with this book is bring together <clears throat> all all the all the research and, and a lot of their experience from their own practicing lives around this notion of the super helper as they've called it and and brought it together in a way that's 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 very very lively original and interesting so once we saw the book was in the world we we thought well let's 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 get let's get rob and jess along to talk to us as a bunch of leaders because it'll just be a fantastic conversation so we thought we'd just kind of kick off really um rob and jess with just you know handing the stage to you for a bit and what will happen is the way we do things is is that people will just indicate through the chat that they've got a question and we'll i'll, pl- I'll play them in uh, once you've been at different points and it'll hopefully quite quickly evolve into a conversation I'll, mm-hmm. i've got a few questions of my own but I, I know we'll have lots of questions because that's the that's the nature of the group but um you've got a sense of who's in the room big welcome to social club huge huge gratitude to have you here um tell us a bit more guys about about what 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 inspired you to to actually write a book because right right i've I've done a book or two and it's a labor of love it's loads of time it's weekends it's evenings it's there's no money in it um why did you write this book guys what 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 got you to the point where you you made the commitment and you did it we uh yeah, should we take it in turns? Because sure. we've got very different answers in some ways. Um, so for me, uh, I started, well, I wanted to be a psychologist since the age of 12, um, largely because I grew up um, believing that there were, I was valuable when I was helpful. When I was oh. helping my mom, I was oh. valuable. I got praise. Um, I wanted to help others also very much in my nature. Um, mm. And then going kind of fast forwarding, through my career in healthcare, lots of different healthcare settings from nursing homes, community hospitals, psychiatric units, um, others that aren't coming to mind for whatever reason, working with people who were so good at giving and giving and giving and giving and rubbish at looking after themselves to some degree, you know. Um, I always, I came across this phenomenon again and again and then most recently through my pr- private coaching practice. So I've re, re um, well, there's a bit of echoing. Um, I retrained in business psychology back in 2004 
and um or 2004 yeah and ever since then I've run my own private coaching practice and I kept saying to Rod over the years like I'm getting the same characters again and again consistency of high empathy really good at looking after others really interested in others naturally but but forgetting themselves you know so focused on whether it's raising a family looking after aging parents but also a focus on work and their own career um not doing as well as in their career as they'd like to because they're focusing so much on others so then by 2018 2019 and I felt I'd want to help more people like how do I help more people than just the number of people who come to me at the end of their tether um looking for coaching at this point so the book was the answer so um I'd spent months and months and months pretending to write a book and Rod would say how's the book going you know how's it going Jess and Rod has a history of writing and um, skills in that area and I'd say oh, oh lovely thanks but don't ask you know um yes. and then eventually I did the thing I asked for help uh so, and yeah, I asked Rod yeah. for help so that's how so, so you became kind of writers I, I was going to ask what, what's um how you got together as people because you've obviously got a history together what was was this <laughs> you know were, were you colleagues uh, was it co-writing are, are you are you, are you are you are you friends are you, are you more than friends what what's, what's we're, your relationship we're, we're, we're civil partners <laughs> um as of 2019 um yeah and um we yeah so we've been together um uh 19 19 years, 19 years now yeah. and uh so we are life partners as well which is why we're on the same zoom screen uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah well yeah so we wrote the book together we're, but you, you we're both psychologists so the, 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 and... the fact that psychologists is partly how we met i suppose because some yeah pointed out I was a psychologist to you but anyway without going into the, the history of our romantic <laughs> relationship which is not what we're really supposed to be talking to you about um yeah we we um I asked you to, for help with the yeah. book and you came to the you came yeah. to the theme and you fell in love with the theme yes really. so, I mean yeah so the, my answer to the question why did you write this book would be I was trying to help um and so you know I was asked to help which is you know, kind of a good starting place for a book about helping and but I mean, it's been an amazing experience. You, you said about you know it was it was months and months and months of doing absolutely nothing else, twenty four hours a day. You know, to, to uh, with we, each we other, like sitting literally side by side. We cancelled our you know everything. So um and and you know, lost all our friends and all of that. But um to 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 just focus on doing this all of the time. Mm. But it's been an amazing experience because. We, we interviewed a lot of people we, we we obviously read a lot of research in in, in the literature on the psychology the neuroscience etc cetera, etc cetera. but we also conducted interviews and um did questionnaire research and the more we got into it the more the whole topic for me became bigger and bigger and more important and you know helping has been a big theme in my life you know, i've worked as a, as a business psychologist for many years i don't do that anymore but in doing that, I was coaching people. I was running leadership development events and things like that. And it was certainly about helping. I also had a mother who was, who was mentioned in the, in the book several times because she was um, a, a huge helper. So I, I sort of had the, the upbringing of it. But, um, but I wouldn't say I'm, a, I'm not a compulsive helper. Um, I, I, don't, I have some of the, the sort of the, the things yeah. we talk about. But as we got into the subject... Um, and talk to these amazing people who are helping all the time, but not looking after themselves and doing you know, such incredible work in this world. Mm. And, and just realizing how important help is. You know, we all help every day. Every, you know, everyone is 
helping, even if it's just giving a piece of advice or, you know, sort of a hand on the shoulder you know, or something like that. It's, it's one of the biggest things we do. And yet there's very few books about it. So we did cover things like how to help. You know, what does yes. it, what, what is help? When does it work? When doesn't it work? Because we could find almost nothing about about that. And we also covered the stuff you, that you already mentioned. Mm. So I kind yeah. of got more and more obsessed with the subject. <laughs> and, and and it sounds like you, you covered all the existing research and you did some of your own research. Mm. Did you spot any 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 sort of difference between what you were finding and what was in the research or? You know, because research can often sort of either sort of lay on the shoulders of what's gone before and reinforce it, or, or it can sometimes confound it a bit. What 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 did, what what came out of your own research uh, as distinct from the stuff that you were reading in books and and, and journals about? Um, I asked this as a as a yeah, as a researcher myself, but it's an interesting yeah, so research. That's no, that's really interesting. I think I think some of the things that really confirm so we looked at kind of things like is helping hereditary and you know so the, so the science behind empathy and yes there is a so there is a um definitely uh, you know your genes are involved there's a hereditary element in in helping and in empathy and so the idea um some of the ideas that we'd had about um one of we we talk about a number of beliefs that holders that helpers typically hold and so that one of those is the help everyone belief. So the idea that some people's empathy is in overdrive, which was an idea we yes. talked about for a long time, mm-hmm. was kind of reinforced by looking at the, the research. You know, they've even identified the genes that are sort of implicated in empathy. Um, you know, a complex construct like empathy, you can't say is entirely genetic, you know, but, yes. but there's certainly an element of it. So that was interesting and kind of reinforced um, what we were talking about. So. I would say that the research we read um, mostly That's seemed to a, sort of, yeah, yeah. 30 years of, yeah. of, of, I mean, there, there have been, there has been um, lots of research on helping, but just not published for the, in the kind of public domain. So um, yes. until you really look, you won't find it, but Batson comes up again and again. Mm. Um, and I mean, he, you'll know more about that, I think in more detail, um, kind of Rod did much of the, the kind of deep reading around this and I did much of the interviewing um, and kind of gathering data as well and I, I'm the it's... nerd and she's the helper <laughs> <laughs> so it worked perfectly Good well and we were able yeah. to say oh well that that fits you know because what I'm hearing in the real world from from people who have identified as having we must define it for you in a minute the super helper syndrome which is basically compulsive helping plus not meeting your own needs so if you're a compulsive helper you're helping all the time it becomes compulsive for whatever reason and we identify a number of reasons how one can come about being a compulsive helper um and coupled with not meeting your own needs then you're going to experience one of the four adverse impacts we lay all of that out in the book um and more but just to say with the research, because, yeah, I mean, we kept it, um, at, I don't know, a couple of hundred hours of research where we were asking people, have you ever experienced any of these symptoms, you know, as a result of giving too much or helping too much? And there's almost like a floodgate of people saying, yes, me. And I know someone else. And I know someone else. And you have to speak to so-and-so. And while, while you're on the subject, can you speak to so-and-so? Because I think it actually help her to identify or help him to identify um what what they're experiencing to, to put words to this mm. as well yes. yes 
Well, uh, let me sort of get out of your way a little bit and, and just and just walk through in, in sort of like, you know, sort of five minute way. One super helper syndrome, as you define it, and, and also that you mentioned that, you know, that some of the sort of, if you like, you know, symptoms or, or think that the adverse the adverse impacts of that, yeah. that being a super helper can have on you and perhaps what's you know what insights you've got for, for how you were uh, self self-help if you <laughs> if you are a super help, a, a, a super help so yeah let me step back a little bit and give you give you a little bit of time to elaborate on that and Sweet. then we'll perhaps bring other questions in and thoughts the rational beliefs and okay setting up that way yeah, yeah. you want to start anywhere else or the adverse impact should we go with the irrational okay. beliefs now? Yeah. yeah i think so and Mm-hmm. or signs yeah. and adverse effects okay, okay signs and adverse effects so and we can yeah. okay. we can take it in turns so um we were at a retreat recently we did a, our own q a because it was two of us so we both kind we, of, we interviewed each other it was yeah. it was really good fun so hopefully that will work as here. you can see we haven't quite got it together today <laughs> um so if i give you some signs that now to backtrack slightly we never and we won't ever define what a super helper is. We won't ever provide anyone ever with any criteria because there are so many people who will say to us, who will self-identify as a super helper, that it's impossible to to to, to say yeah. it in that way. So I don't really want to to restrict it. And we didn't even we didn't originally we didn't even want to use that label. We talked about the super helper syndrome, yeah. which was a clearly defined set of behaviours compulsive yes. helping and not meeting your own needs rather than labeling anyone as being a super helper and you know yeah. so we've never yeah. but we've had to back off from that because in all the kind of interviews with journalists and, and all of the articles we have come in you know they want to say you know three signs you're a super helper and you know everyone sort of gets onto that um yes that phrase so we kind yeah. of had had to, had to go with that yeah. and it's fine yeah. if people want to identify with that that's up to them but we're not we're not wanting to label anyone as a super helper yeah um and but having said that (laughs) there are a number of signs that people people do um that people do relate to so maybe some of these uh relate to you or someone that you know or people that you work with um especially in in the areas that you do work in so um do you help in all aspects of your life and whether that's at work at weekends are you fundraising are you giving things to charity are you helping your neighbors friends extended family etc etc do you struggle to say no to requests for help? Um, often saying no comes with a side order of guilt. So people who are compassionate tend not to say no at all. Mm. Your relationships might be lopsided. If you're the one giving and giving and giving and giving, then inevitably that per- the other person in the relationship isn't giving as much as you're giving. And that can cause resentment. We'll come on to the adverse impact shortly, of which resentment is one of them. If you're the kind of person who is highly empathic and you are interested naturally in others, you're going to find that you're the one asking lots of questions. You're asking about the other person's life, maybe their children, maybe their grandchildren. You you might even find it really easy to collect data about those people, their preferences, their holidays, their illnesses. Um, And you might find that, again, this can lead to lopsided relationships where you're the one taking a bit more interest in other people than they take in you um people might open up to you there's a really good example in the book about how a psychotherapist is on her night out with her husband she's in a bar on friday night 9 p.m the bartender downloads his whole life history and you know trauma um to her they walk away from the bar eventually her husband turns to her and says 
did you, you know, do you know him like that bartender just gave you his whole life story what did you do and she said to me in the interview I have no idea what I was doing to encourage that but I and I kind of wish I could stop it at 9 p.m on a Friday night so it might be that people open up to you readily perhaps people turn to you you're the fixer in the family the go-to mediator the problem solver um and perhaps you feel guilty when you're unable to help and ultimately you also deny your own needs to some extent Mm. maybe not consciously at all but you're not meeting your own needs as well as you're meeting other people's so those are just some of the signs that you may recognize in yourself or others it's not an exhaustive list it's not a description of the super helper um but let's talk about the super helper syndrome and the four adverse impacts the state that you can find yourself in okay um so yeah we the, we've identified four main adverse impacts um related to it. and the first is exhaustion which is you know fairly obvious if you're helping others all of the time and not looking after yourself then that's you know that's where you end up um in exhaustion uh and we had lots and lots of um you know examples of that um and of you know workplace burnout as well um so i think that's a you know fairly sort of um straightforward um and and obvious outcome the second was um resentment which jess already mentioned um again one of our interviewees said helping too much can and and does end up in resentment um one person said um said um it was a psychologist saying uh, everyone behaves as if they've got me on speed dial you know they're calling me up the whole time with their problems um but i don't hear from them when thing, good things happen in their life you know they, they they're just downloading all the I'm trying not to swear now the rubbish on on me um so and there was definitely resentment in 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 that and and it's it's really sad and resentment is such a sort of insidious such a sort of self-destructive emotion you know and compassionate people that's the last thing they want to feel you know they want to be giving to other Freely. people so it's a horribly um self-defeating thing and and um not something any of us want to face up to um the the um third one was exploitation which is the flip side of that that if you helping others all the time if you if you behave as if you don't want much in return you don't get anything in return and so again we you know, we came up with lots of examples of where helpers were being taken advantage of and you and until you learn to sort of set your own boundaries and all of those things i'm sure will come on to then people do take advantage and then the final adverse impact that sort of came out of you know all the people we talked to was self-criticism again it's ironic like resentment you know it's 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 um terribly sad that you know these people who are doing so much and being so wonderful and giving so much and so compassionate um are beating themselves up about the fact that they when they can't help or when they you know even we had one example of somebody saying you know, i didn't know that somebody needed help and i felt really bad about it you know how, how are you you're supposed to be a mind reader or something so it, it, they end up being very self-critical when they can't help or when the helping doesn't work and more generally or or at another level critical of themselves for experiencing the other three adverse impacts so i shouldn't feel tired all the time um, or I shouldn't be so I shouldn't feel resentment shouldn't feel resentful towards people or I shouldn't be such a pushover and allow myself to be exploited so um but mm. you know those were the um those were the four adverse impacts I'm sure there are others but we these are the things that came up again and yeah. again for us and then to, to move we, on yeah, to the to irrational beliefs. The beliefs yeah yeah so there are four irrational beliefs that we highlighted throughout 
the research that um and you know i think it's important to say here as well that um rod and i've been discussing this for years i mean we've been together 18 19 years and i've i was brought up to believe i didn't have any needs i was brought up to believe that um um that i should help others so when it comes to these irrational beliefs it was really interesting for me on a personal level to hear so many strangers people I'd never met before talking about them in 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 their own words and in their own way so so we and we wanted to keep the labels of the belief really simple um in the book too can I just yeah because when we can I just preface it with, with when we say irrational beliefs that's because we're sort of coming from a cognitive behavioral psychology um orientation where you know and, and, and sorry if you, you may already know all this but just for some people when you start saying irrational beliefs then it seems a bit critical of of helpers or something but it's um in in the sort of cognitive behavioral psychology tradition um the, we, the idea that we all hold irrational beliefs and particularly shoulds and must like you know um i should be thinner or i should be fitter or i should be a better parent and uh, these these things that that sort of undermine us and so yeah. um we were coming from that perspective and they and they are unconscious as well so they're they, yeah uh, so just to yeah. kind of um, no I think that's a good point thank so, you so, yeah perfect. <laughs> you want to go into perfect perfect um and I think I'll just be really brief because I mean there are they each get their own chapter in the book um and as Rob said you know we're coming from a psychologist of course we're really interested in the, the way people think and what motivates yeah. compulsive helping um so the first three drive compulsive helping and the fourth one is about the no needs um element of the super helper syndrome so we'll start with the good person belief this is and and again drawing on personal story which is in part in the book where relevant i draw on my own personal experience too but a lot of the um what we also intertwine that with um with quotes from the beautiful in interviews and questionnaires that we we had back from people as well and the good person belief really is very closely tied with your own self-worth so it's I must help others to prove I'm a good person and it sounds really harsh and absolutely mm. to come back so I'm glad you kind of you know, gave us the foundation of that because it does sound like in fact one of our beta readers said um I do hold the good person belief and I'm not letting go of it thank you very much I do see myself as a good person and helping is equated to that so which it is and which it we're is. not against helping and we're not against helping and we're not saying stop yeah. helping we're saying please help from a sustainable place this help from a place of compassion, not from a place of compulsion. So the good person belief is it probably starts at a very young age for most, for a lot of people anyway, in childhood messages and your upbringing, you're praised and you're valued when you're helping. So helping becomes part of your, the way you see yourself, your own self-worth. I'm valuable when I'm helping is basically what, what it's saying. Mm. And you take that, those childhood messages into adulthood. And perhaps for some of you here or for the people that you know, you might be able to recognize that as a key driving force. So that's the I must have others to prove I'm a good person. The help everyone belief is slightly different. This is about other people and seeing the suffering. It's 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 still compulsive. It's still a compulsion to to jump in that. And someone said it so beautifully um, uh, uh, in the book. She said something about it's an, a compulsion, a rope between you and them. Like even if they're a complete stranger, there's a really good example of this, of a nurse, actually. In an interview, she kind of gave it as an afterthought. She says, oh, yeah, this other ex um, example that, you know, comes to mind. 
She said, I was driving and I've just parked up outside the gym with my gym buddy. I just got out of the car and closed my door and I noticed somebody struggling at their at their car that was parked in a disabled bay. And I could see a woman struggling at her open door of this parked car in the disabled bay. So I run over and I say, it's okay, I'm a nurse. And I use my manual handling skills and, and I'm, I'm reassuring her as I go and I'm lifting her really safely and carefully and gently out of the car. And, and there she was standing up and I and she said, actually, I was trying to get in. And so this nurse suddenly kind of burst out laughing in embarrassment. And she said, thankfully, the woman didn't seem to mind. And I explained and I'm, I said, I'm really sorry. And then, my goodness. But even in the interview, I could and I kind of feel it now, like that sense of embarrassment for her. But she had the help everyone believe, you know, even if it's something you've got this antennae mm. um, for, for looking in well, yeah. overdrive. Yeah. You're looking out for opportunities to help or looking for the need in other people. Mm. So that's the help everyone believe. The third is the they couldn't survive without me belief. And again, we explore the multitude of different ways and you can find yourself perhaps holding this belief. Um, one of them is it might be in a one to one relationship. Um, for me, again, personal story, my mother would practically say, I can't survive without you. So from a very young age, I felt responsible for her and her well-being and her, her emotional well-being. Um, but in, we've seen it in workplace settings as well and there's one example I'd like to share with you from a dentist who said you know she described herself before giving me this example and she said you know I'm quite I'm I'm strong I'm healthy and I see myself as capable I'm a specialist in my field you know I'm I, I love what I do I'm really passionate about my patients I do the very best I can for them and she said she went on to describe this example on the Thursday, I felt quite ill. I had lots of internal pain. I was suffering. Even I was feeling quite feverish. I went into my dental practice and my colleague said, you know, actually, you look a bit peaky. You know, are you OK? She said, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll be fine. She went back the next day and her colleagues repeated to her saying, actually, you look worse today. Can one of us drive you to A&E? You know, you, I think, you know, you need some help. She's like, do you know what? I'll be in the hospital tomorrow morning at Saturday. I'm seeing a whole list of kids that I'm treating with, you know, emergency dental treatment. Or some of them have been waiting for months and months. I'll be in the hospital. I'll pop into A&E after my shift. What happened? She drove to the hospital. She collapsed, collapsed as she got through the doors. She told me she woke up with a sea of faces above her. She was in hospital for three months while they were doing test upon test upon test to try to identify what was wrong with her. And she said in the interview, Jess, I cannot believe I was such an idiot. I was lying in my hospital bed feeling so foolish. I felt like I had put these patients first above my own health. And of course, those patients got seen. Of course, another dentist came in. But I felt like I was indispensable. So you can so you can see the, how the they can't survive without me belief can can manifest. And the fourth is there no needs belief, um, which we don't wear the T-shirt. But we might say we, we it will manifest itself in our behaviours, in our excuses, and it is I shouldn't have any needs, yeah. Um, and so it, again, we don't go around saying that out loud. I shouldn't have any needs, but mm. it will show itself if you're the kind of person that feels guilty for taking time out for you, mm. or taking time off, or saying no to something, or pushing back gently. That, that is where my mother comes in, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. My mother held that belief to extremes, oh, you know, that gosh. she. Um, there are several examples of, of, of 
of this her. Beautiful one in the yeah, book. There's, a, there's, a, there's an example when she was um, at the end of her life, and we went to see her, um, and we were talking about taking her out for a pub lunch, um, and she, my father was sort of debating with us about whether she was well enough. She just noticed she went out of the room and got her little um, Ugg boots and put them beside her, her and came back in. You know, she, you know, even at that stage when she's, you know, in the latter stage of the cancer, she wouldn't express that she what she wanted to do. Um, and another one was on her, on her, literally on her deathbed when she was in the hospice. She, we we were all sitting around her bed, my brothers and my father and I, and and she she hadn't spoken for days and we didn't know whether she was conscious or not. And she sort of sat up in bed and said, off you go, go on. And so we didn't know what to do. So we all went home um, and to, to my father's house. Um, we, we wondered if she'd decided to die that night, you know, if that was the, the time. It was, it was, um, she didn't. She died a few days later when we were all around the bed. But, you know, we realised that she was kind of giving us the night off, you know, even she was still thinking about our needs and not her needs, even yeah. at the last you know stage of, of her life. So mm. I suddenly, you know, that 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 thing about seeing the suffering around you and being in tune with it was um, massive being yeah. there. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, just sorry, building on that really... <laughs> An example, I suppose, you know, given you, you know, your mother went through a whole life being like this, right, right, yeah. right until the end. Give you 50 given other examples. Sort of, well, given the sort of both epi, well, what you might call epigenetic or mm. and learned aspects of this, is there any hope for people who are like this? Um, you know, because I think a lot of us are either silently nodding or, or at least, you know, the, the, the people on this call are generally people who've been drawn to the caring professions we err towards helpfulness yeah. in our in our in our in our other our professions or our leadership and and a lot of what as you were just talking there you know i think a lot of people were sort of tick ticking the boxes as, as you went through the four the four uh, yeah, the, 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 the four the four um descriptors and then the the kind of the adverse elements of this and i suppose you know if 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 one does fit this category broadly is there any way out of it <laughs> of course <laughs> yeah to, yeah do you want to go? yeah and it's it's all the bit we've got to the sort of the, the quite doom and gloom yeah my dying yeah, other things. yeah let's, let's take, it, take no, no, it, up it, it, it was just a great example to, 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 yeah. to point out but yeah and you know and I first I want to say that um that helping is again that helping is a wonderful thing and we we've got a whole chapter in here on the the be- benefits of helping and on you know the the physical and psychological benefits yeah. to to you from helping and that you know there's lots of so we looked at that research too so we're not yes. all sort of gloom and doom at all in fact yeah. you know there, well, there would have been being pro social is, is 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 great for health isn't it a, a pro social yeah. outlook is is fantastic for us isn't it yeah yeah and there's a lot there's lots of uh, evidence about that and and um about the, the helpers high and and uh, things like that and the release of endorphins and we and we, we cover all that so uh, definitely um you know we want to promote healthy helping and it is mm-hmm. possible um there are a number of different approaches to the whole question of if you recognize the super helper syndrome what can you do about it um, and and so, some of those are to uh, sort of what you might call a psychological approach, which is to do with taking those four, if you identify any of those beliefs, the good person belief, the help everyone belief, the they couldn't survive without me belief, or 
and especially the no needs belief, then we have methods and we could go through some of that now, but to kind of deconstruct each of those and to take them apart, to see them for what they really are, which is irrational and unhelpful and harmful to you. Uh, and, and to to let go of them. So it's not just a matter of sort of saying, oh, right, now I'm going to do things differently. It's about really unpacking your own thinking and putting something else in its place. And we, we suggest alternative beliefs to adopt and we suggest ways of of, um, of combating each of those. Do you want to, you want to say give, what they are? Give this, you, yeah, okay, so we've got so nice. lots of exercises. Jess knows how many. Um, spotlights, we call them. And one of them is um, the is a full just after all the chapters deconstructing the beliefs there's a full affirmation of the alternative beliefs which is if you can put your and so i'm just reading from the book now if you can put your hand on your heart and honestly read all of these aloud you're well on your way to avoiding super helper syndrome so one is my self-worth is not dependent on helping others i know and respect the limits of my capacity to help i know and respect the limits of my responsibility to help and I deserve to have my own needs met. And we say, if this doesn't feel authentic at first, keep revisiting the deconstruction sections of each of the beliefs. So there's a detailed you know, way. So it's not just a matter of, sort of reciting it like a slogan or, or, or something, because we don't believe that's always the, you know, that might work for some people, but it's not always the best way to make real mindset. deep change, mm -hmm. a mindset shift. Yeah, it's basically a mindset shift process that we, we go through. Mm. Um, but there are other things that we, we talk about, like... Yeah, boundaries. boundaries. Boundaries, darling. One of my favourite B words. So it's really it's really interesting how through the research and through our own experience as psychologists working with hundreds of people over the years, how very few people know what a boundary is or how to set one or how to communicate that boundary if they have set it. And so not to patronise the reader, but to just lay that all out really clearly and help them identify for themselves that it's not selfish to look after yourself. In fact, you need to, you know, if you haven't got anything to give, then you can't give as much as you would like to. So in very, and there's a whole huge section on this. So I'm just going to give you the, the top notes. Um, we encourage the reader to think about their own helping boundaries and to decide consciously what they want to do. We give them a framework to work through. And we offer them the opportunity to reconsider throughout the book. So this, you said how many spotlights. I know how many spotlights there are. There are 49 spotlights in the book and they are not all my favourites, but they are really. Um, I'll read you one of my favourites maybe later on. But what we try and do is encourage the reader from the very first chapter to build a profile of themselves as a helper. And to identify their own helping behaviours, relationships, um, habits, whether they're healthy or not. So by the time they get to the boundary section, they're very ready to say, yes, I think I need some better boundaries. I might have strong boundaries already, but I need to strengthen them. Or maybe I have no boundaries at all and I need to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. And we give them opportunity to then work through the framework to decide who they help, how they help, when they help. And we give them even tactics on how to describe that and how to communicate that. I do a lot of work on assertiveness and boundaries myself with corporate clients. So I have um, lots of experience and examples to bring um, to that, like, you know, buying time. It's almost impossible to say no to requests mm. for help. It really is. Often 
it's just impractical, especially, I mean, I do a lot of work with Carers UK and unpaid carers, and there's no way I could sit in front of a Zoom room right now and say, just say no, you know, that's not practical. So everything in the book, we challenged again and again with each other to make it as practical as possible. And, and so working through those frameworks, now it might be, and there are other things that I'm probably jumping over, but I just want to say... I want to, I was going to, if you, if you don't mind me interrupting. As long okay. as I'm going to remember what okay. I want to say. No, <laughs> let me say what oh. I want to say. Now, it might be, we also give the reader the opportunity to do exactly what they always have and ex- do exactly what they're currently doing in the way that they're doing it, but they've chosen mm. to do so consciously. So even if you choose not to change, you now consciously choose these relationships, these behaviours, these habits... Yeah. And therefore, you will no longer feel as much of a victim. So you'll free yourself from some of the resentment just by having gone through that process. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I mean, kind of related to that, a specific example would be the friendometer. So one of the kind of more brutal exercises is to get people to look at their list of friends. And because if you're... Uh, and, and this is not something I would recommend to somebody who is not suffering from super helper syndrome, by the way. You know, so if you're compulsively helping and you're not looking after your, yourself, then one of the things that's often going on is that, as Jess said earlier, your friendships are not balanced. So you're the one who's doing all the giving and you're, you're the one who's contacting you. You know all about your friend, but they don't know very much about your life. And sometimes um, it's necessary to go through and, and kind of look at each person and decide who are really your friends and, and who are actually just helpies. As just said, you can still decide to carry on having a relationship with somebody who you know is a helpie, but they're not a friend. A friend is someone who you, know, you get from as well as giving to. It's a, a, a relationship that is a two-way relationship. Mutual, yeah. Mutual yeah. meeting of needs. Yeah. 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 So I know that you have, you know, Jess has had to let go of some relationships where it was, all you mm. doing all of the giving and and that's tough and painful but sometimes necessary and and allows you to do the helping that you want to do with the people who really need your yeah. help who aren't yes. supposedly friends and who I'm who I'm willing to give it to without the build up of quiet resentment as well which as you said earlier isn't really pleasant for anybody so that's one form of, of setting boundaries is that that um and and we, we try and you know, gently guide the reader through that and we're not you know not um so the other approach we, yeah. we take is building self-worth you want to talk about that a little bit yeah so uh, as well as the sort of psychological you could call it, approach of sort of deconstructing the irrational beliefs um and, and taking those apart and, and putting something else in their place and and things like setting boundaries and sort of you know practical behavioral stuff you can uh, you can do Another key aspect is is the whole question of self-worth. We've said that beliefs like the good person belief, I must help others to prove I'm a good person, is fundamentally about your sense of self-worth, you know, how much you think you value yourself. Um, Same same with the no-needs belief. Often that's to do with self-worth. Not not always, but it's often to do with um, feeling I shouldn't have any needs is a sign of, of low value of yourself. So we have a lot of information about um, how to build self-worth uh, and about self-compassion, self-kindness um, and yeah, as well. And we, we, we go. Mm. To, um, yeah. 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 I, I, thanks. I've, I've 
I've, I've got a, a couple of things in chat that I'd like to just bring in from yeah. others in, in the room, which will which will hopefully um, steer the conversation in um, in interesting ways. Sophie, um, so, um, Sophie Clark from Juno, um, which I'm also involved in, by the way, um, and um, <clears throat> and just just yeah, Sophie, do you want do you want to come in? Lovely, yeah, and um, yeah, thank you both. It's really um, yeah, really insightful stuff, and definitely recognise a lot of what you been talking through I was just reflecting on what you said about the kind of you know reflecting on friendships and I think one of the light bulb moments for me um I've got a friend who's training as a psychodynamic psychotherapist and she's very hot on like noticing unsurprisingly but you know we, we had a really helpful conversation about you know if if you're often in that mood of, of being the helper mm deliberately or not you remove other people's opportunity to help and you know if we know that that gives us that feeling of you know well lots of feelings but a feeling of warmth and things you're removing others opportunity to do that and patterns can form so I was, I was just yeah what, what are your thoughts on that because I imagine when thinking about your own relationships there's like an added job that you've got to do around like how much am I creating this actually rather than this is somebody who doesn't give yeah um yeah yeah okay i'll start then i'm sure you will (laughs) jump in um sophie i'll be really honest uh, i know this is being recorded and that's fine but within the last few weeks i had a conversation with somebody uh that lasted 34 minutes and uh i would i would class her as a friend and i got off the call and i realized that not once did she ask me any questions in that 34 minutes now she's not going through any particular drama or trauma it was just the way our relationship works and it's really difficult so I've done a lot of digging deep and a lot of coaching from Rod as well talking about this because you know I call myself a recovering compulsive helper I I'm working through all of this myself I've come a long long way and I wouldn't have been able to write the book that we've written if I hadn't done loads of work Mm. but it's a constant challenge you know how much am I creating that so I can't blame her I really don't and I I love I love her I think she's great you know so I need to allow for her you know the time or space to reflect or for me to to tell her more perhaps you know be less self-effacing and is that right is that the right word um and be more open about what's going on in my life and being more prepared to share that yeah Uh, yeah so yeah to ask her for something yeah yeah, that's really good there's an exercise, and I don't know, it would probably take me an hour of flipping through the book to find it, um, but where we we list that, that one about um, uh, plans for the weekend. weekend. Yeah, there's a, uh, maybe we can find it, but th- I can probably describe it. There's an exercise in the book about um, plans for the weekend. So it, we, we say it's, uh, you look at the weather it's and it's, it's lovely and um, sunny at your favourite coastal spot, okay? And what, what would you say to your partner, housemate, whoever, you know, person? And we sort of list a, a, everything from what do you, you might say, what do you want to do for the weekend? Through to at the other extreme, I want to go to the coast at the weekend. If that, So uh, because people with the no needs belief just are habitually don't express their needs and don't feel they have the right to, 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 to do that. Um, they often don't even know what their needs are. They don't, they have a blind spot for them. And yeah, and so, and other people fill that space because most people are really happy to talk about themselves, yeah. aren't they? And, and, you know, their own stuff is, 
what they want to talk about. And it's, I've become so, since we wrote the book, I've become like a thousand times more aware of it. Of that. <laughs> and one more thing, can I add? Um, yeah, quickly. Yeah, and then, then I'll, there's, there's lots of hands. So oh, I want to go around sorry. the room. And one more go, thing go for it, um, to say, just from part one of the book that we, we all had mentioned earlier was we really unpack what helping is. And in that, you know, we've done a lot of, um, we, we give you some of the highlights from the research as well and the dynamics of helping and the dynamics of relationships and whether you're creating dependency mm. and how that can happen. And, and then, of course, later on in the book, we say, well, this is how to unpack that and actually to release yourself as well. So, Sophie, thank you. It's a brilliant question. And yes, the whole book kind of covers different elements of those relationships that you'll find yourself in at different points. So hope that's useful for you. That's thank fantastic. You. That's, that's, that, that, thank you. And we've, we've, we've got a few more um, sort of questions. So, so um, in, in no particular order, but if we could have Kat and then uh, Brendan and then Neil, and then if we could sort of keep our sort of bits to about 30 seconds each to give Rod and Jess a time to reply. We've got about 15, just less than 15 minutes left. So, Kat, you go, you go first. Kat Sowden from Persona Care and Support in Berry. Yeah, mine was just an observation. It's, it's been really insightful, I think, because we see this happening in our workforce all the time. People come into care and they do it because they want to help, but then they really struggle to manage the boundaries. And I think it's potentially one of the reasons why people then leave the industry because they can't manage it. And I just it's made me really reflect on what can we do to help people recognise it. Um see the positives of it but also understand how to manage that because we, we absolutely it gets in the way of so many things within the sector particularly enabling people and allowing them to do for themselves safely rather than doing for them so it's just it was more an observation just just how pertinent this is to our sector so thank you so much for raising oh. it and making me think about it <laughs> thanks Kat and let, let's go on to let's go on to Brendan and 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 um and then then Neil then we'll perhaps give Jess and 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 uh, and Rod a chance to just kind of co- come back on all the points because then then we'll get everyone's voices in so perhaps um yeah Brendan and then straight on to Neil well thanks Jess and Rod for a really really interesting uh conversation uh I, I facilitate courses for senior leaders and it's a very common experience to find senior leaders who are very adept at looking after all those around them within their teams, within their organizations, but not looking after themselves. And it's so common that it's, uh, it's, it feels almost cultural, particularly in hierarchical organizations. I think that is particularly uh, the case and it becomes an expectation for those leaders. that that's exactly how they're going to behave much as you've tried to encourage them uh, to do differently now it's not in their job descriptions you will ban yourself out looking after everybody and probably have to leave after a year or 18 months but the, there's some kind of cultural belief there that that needs to be uh, t- needs to be challenged I, I find it very commonplace in senior leaders mm, yeah yeah absolutely I think many, many of us uh, would, would echo that Brendan and Neil and then we'll, we'll hand back to to, 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 to to Jess and Rod for, for the last few minutes and and then we'll um, then we'll, we'll We'll have to wrap up. So, um, yeah, Neil, Neil Woodbridge from Third yeah. Lifestyle Solutions. Hi, everyone. I'm a third generation person working in the caring profession. And I just need to confess that I am a super helper, but I didn't know I was till I just started hearing this. So thank you for that. Where were you 10 years ago? My wife, my wife dines out on the fact I famously once gave our bins away to a neighbour down the road because I thought she needed them more than us. And she's still not forgiven me. Yeah, I know. I don't know. What, what was that about? I, love that. But I gave the bins away. Yes, yeah, so I had to go and 
it's a long story. But my point was that in, in the caring profession that I work in, and particularly when I was managing home care for a local authority, all jokes aside, I would literally see people get ill. And I mean, like physiologically ill, like with cancers and all sorts of stuff. And I often thought I now in reflecting, particularly that was down to this. They literally given their life essence to everybody else and, and had worn themselves out. So I think there is and, and Kat said it already. There is a massive responsibility in our profession to recognize when it's happening with teams. And I'm, I'm going to start talking about it quite openly with my staff team. Say, so let's talk about this. And part of well-being could be to ensure people have time for themselves and make that point to them. Um, yeah, sorry. When I can yeah. I come back in on that? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's bring you back in there because there's been a few points. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, now, James. Of course, of course, we want to encourage you to 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 read the book if you if you feel like you want to do that. But I've also got a number of free workbook resources on my website. One of them is called Compassion at Work. And Neil, that might be a really good segue because it's less read this. <laughs> And more. Oh, look, let's look at this. You know, it's got. I've got some questions I've designed in there. I've I've included the the signs of super helper syndrome. It's it's very light touch, um, and I can send you the link later on. Perhaps Craig. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll, ship, we'll we'll send them out uh, the links, all the links out on our. Um, we've got an internal WhatsApp and various things we can do. So let's 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 put them all on there. Yeah. Thank you. Did you want to respond to any of that? Yeah, and reflections because uh, yeah, Rod, you, 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 you. If I remember correctly, from the beginning, you said you you spent a lot of your psychology career in the business sector, and yeah. I guess this was must somewhat. Brendan was saying particularly must have uh, resonated there. I imagine, undoubtedly, yeah. Some of the um, the there was a particular type of client that I used to identify and work with who because uh, we, we we used to our kind of flagship program was a thing called leadership discovery which i ran i think in 41 countries we uh, we totted it up mm-hmm. um and with lots of of, of of leaders and um there was a particular type of person i came up against again and again who they're brilliant the, the, the whole program was doing you did a whole lot of quite challenging activities and got feedback from each other and from the from the you know the course tutors and all of that uh, but there were some people who were uh, amazingly talented, really skilled, really giving a lot to everyone else. And yet they were so tough on themselves as well. Mm-hmm. So that thing, the self-criticism aspect of it, that really spoke to me as, as one part of that. And so you, I see you nodding, Brendan. So you, you see that as well. And it's it's so weird. Like It's like the kind of the best people. Yeah. The people I would most want to have in my team are the people who, you know, who are beating themselves up the most and thinking they're not doing enough and... Uh, you know, it's the ones that really, really needed the program that sometimes got less out of it. Uh, but I know. Well, that's the should we? Should we yeah. Mm. Do you, did you have more questions? Should we move on to you, you, just? We were thought we thought we'd finish with a couple of little exercises from the book that we could. Kind yeah, of yeah. Let, 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 let's do that. Let's do, let's yeah. do that. It's good to finish with it with a kind of yeah with with a bang of some sort. <laughs> so that's good. Yeah. So let's, let's do that. I should present Jess with a copy. Of the I've book. been volunteered to read this. Okay, so Can this is. Thank you. Um, This is Spotlight 5.4. So in Chapter 5, Self-Kindness Invocation. Um, And I'm just going to read this. So if you just want to close your eyes for a moment, uh, 30 seconds. Um, It's quite a, yeah, I'll just read it and let you you feel however you feel. So when you are feeling low on energy, read this aloud slowly. In this moment, allowing myself to feel however I feel, 
acknowledging the tiredness in my body, my mixed emotions, and my jumble of thoughts. I offer to myself warmth in the cold, soft light in the darkness, calm in the chaos, tender strength to lift myself up, and the courage to carry on. Thank you. That was a self-kindness invocation. And I I can I can rarely do that with the um uh should I do the half hug? We've yeah. got a minute? Oh, but yeah, 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 we've got we've got we've got we've got three, oh, four right, minutes. Yeah. Do one more then it's just Sorry. here with the yellow. Oh yeah. Mark. Felt like a prayer almost that was very nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah the invocation is beautiful, isn't yeah. it? Um, yeah. I do like it. Yeah. We had a lot of fun designing all these um I use that a lot. Spotlights, <laughs> didn't we? Yeah. Okay, so while we're here, then having a quiet moment towards the end and kind of reflective moment, this is an opportunity to do all the things we've been talking about. So to give yourself some of that love and tender care that you offer to others. So can I invite you please to place one hand on your heart and one hand on your belly and just take two deep breaths in your own time, in and out. And I'll read this. Place one hand on your heart and one hand on your belly. As you breathe, feel the belly rise and fall. Feel the gentle pressure of your hands resting here. Notice if there's any warmth. Bring to the half hug all the gentle love, care and tenderness that you would if you were hugging one of the people most dear to you in this world. Hold yourself in this safe, secure embrace for two more breaths. You can use the half hug whenever you need to connect with yourself. It can bring calm when you are anxious. It can reassure you in times of self-doubt. It only takes a few moments, so it can be done anywhere, anytime. If you're struggling in a stressful meeting, you can nip out to the loo for a quick half hug. Thank you. Very <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <I> nice. <know. laughs> what, what a great way to uh, what a great way to to spring the session to a to a a really lovely a really lovely end and and sort of i think you know we, we traditionally end these sessions with a kind of you know what what to what to leave, you know what you what one thing you, you just want to sort of leave ringing in our ears really uh as as as, as, a, as a as a as an overriding message of of the presentation but i suppose that what we've just done is that really in a, in a sense so i don't think i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you to say any more because uh, that was uh, that was just really powerful 